Let's get ready to <laughs> Oh, the silly stuff that comes out of your mouth, John. A delight to be in your presence as always. Welcome, friends, to Election Profit Makers, the latest podcast from Kid Midas and Long John Silver. This week is no different from any other week. Although we are later into the year than we have ever been and further into the future than mankind has ever traveled to this date, some things remain constant. Quality audio content from your friends at Election Profit Makers, the podcast that makes a difference. We have a jam-packed episode this week. We'll be joined later in the episode by the one and only Alex Perrine, who will celebrate a hot take he made last fall that has come into full flower in our human reality. But before we do that, let me say once again that my name is Kid Midas, the original Wave Rider. And I'm joined on the line by none other than John Kimball, who lives way down south in North Carolina. Hey, David. John, well, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You look great. Thanks. Yeah, what are you wearing? You're wearing like a jacket or a hoodie? <laughs> what is that? Yeah, I'm wearing a hoodie someone gave me. The North Face. It's a brand. North Face I'm is a great brands. brand. Did you just say you're getting into brands? Yeah, 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 yeah. I kind of am too. I watch a lot of fashion TikTok now. And, um, oh, yeah? Yeah. There's a, there's a phenomenon on TikTok called – I can't remember what the acronym is or the initialism is like get dressed with me or get ready with me. And it's all these young stylish people and it's like, well, I'm going into the office today. Help me pick out an outfit. And then they just put on those wonderful clothes. It's incredible. What are the hot brands these days? Well, the hottest brand and it's been in the news a lot is this brand called Balenciaga. Have you ever heard of that? Uh-uh. No. Well, a lot of famous rappers wear them on the street fashion TikToks I watch, but they got into a bit of hot water with allegations of child sexual exploitation, and there was just a lot of crazy stuff that was going on recently. You can listen to fashion podcasts to learn more about it. Okay. Um, and then there's classic brands. Oh, oh the other one that there, that a lot of people wear that's like really futuristic is this, some some man I had never heard of till I joined TikTok named Rick Owens, and he makes like. It looks like Star Wars clothes. Hmm. It's really wild. I think it's really expensive. I think it's outside of my budget. Okay. Meanwhile, I just have a, my wardrobe is like 20, 20 old torn up ratty American giant hoodies in every conceivable co- color that sit in a corner of my closet. And then, of course, I have my pants from REI. I'm still wearing my high performance all weather pants. All right. Um, that was a focus of our podcast many months ago. And your Levi's jeans, right? You wear Levi's? I no longer can fit into my Levi's jeans, so I no longer wear my Levi's jeans. Oh. I have not bought new Levi's jeans. But John, of course, is mentioning Levi's jeans because one of his fondest memories in his journey across this planet is the day I forced him to go to South Point Mall with me to buy a pair of Levi's jeans. And John went under duress and with great protestation. And yet by the end of the afternoon, he was laughing and giggling like a newborn baby because Uh, I had found the perfect pair of Levi's jeans. Yeah, that was a good time. Yeah. Let's start the podcast. <laughs> All right. But should we talk so, about fashion someday? I wonder if any of our listeners are really into fashion. Uh, I don't know. Who's yeah. Let's I'll, I'll talk let's about think it. about it. Let's let's put a pin in fashion uh, okay. cuz I think there's much to discuss about fashion. It's it's intriguing to me. Mhm. John, since last we spoke, at long last, the Georgia runoff election has been put to bed. Is there anything left to say about this damn thing? Uh, No, no. Uh, Warnock won easily. I think it was just under three points. I had predicted it would be five or six points. I was sort of going out on a limb there. It was was a little bit closer than that. But three points is not really close when you're considering a, a purple state. 
So it was uh, pretty much a blowout. And we both made a little bit of money, did we not? Yes, we did. But and, but remember, we made our money before. We sold before it even started. And I don't think it traded. I think it started out the night trading at like 95 cents. And then at one point moved to like 89 cents. That was about, that could have been a point that you jumped in. Uh, but uh, yeah, not much, not much movement. Uh, hopefully everyone made money. I, I think I did end up buying some shares on the other side uh, just to hedge. Uh, you know, once it got to like 97 cents, I bought a bunch at three cents just in case Herschel Walker came back so I could feel good. But, and I lost that money. And now Raphael Warnock has six whole years where all he has to do is be in the Senate and not run. Well, I mean, he'll start running again probably in four years. But after these nonstop elections and runoffs, that's going to be quite the change. Yeah, it really is. I think, yeah, he must be relieved. You know what I would do if I was him just for for the lols? I would start sending even more emails to everybody, (laughs) even more fundraising emails, like double the volume now. Right. Be like, now that I finally won this election, it's time to dig deeper than ever before. Fran, could you spare 20, 22, or even $25 to help my, what's when's he going to run again? 20, 20, 28? Eight. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. If you invested $25 today uh, in his campaign and he put that in Bitcoin, Mm. imagine how much it will be worth in six years. It's truly stunning to imagine. Did we ever talk about the guy who got in so much trouble, the effective altruism guy? Which guy is that? Bankman Freed? No. This moppet who hornswoggled everyone in the center left about Bitcoin and effective altruism and like what we really need to do is stop helping these poor people and start getting ready for the robot wars of 3036 or whatever they are? Yeah. No, we haven't talked about him. Okay. In the words of the youth, say less. All right. Shall we get to our interview? Is that what with, they say? Yeah. Is that what they say? Oh my God! If you do, you, do, do you, you not watch? T- are you TikTok? not on TikTok? You're still on Twitter. I'm on TikTok. Uh, okay. Oh no, I'm okay. on TikTok okay. nonstop, man. All right. I love TikTok. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm obsessed with TikTok. TikTok may be where I'll be because the unthinkable might be around the corner. Which is, John, there was a, some dark stuff happening on Twitter this week, and at one point you texted me and said, "I think I might actually have to leave this platform. It's getting too grim." It really is. I am thinking about it. I've got one foot out the door. I have, um, I'm not ready to leave yet, but I did sign up with Mastodon and with Post. So if anyone wants to look me up on either one of those, um, I'm going to go ahead and just give out my address. And uh, I am at John Kimball, J O N K I M B A L L, at mass.to. That is the server I've signed up on Mastodon. Hmm. Uh, I don't know what that means. I don't know if I can change that server or not. I'm on post as well at post.news slash John Kimball. What is post? I hope it's something more than a post-it note you stuck on my fridge. Yeah, it's, um, (laughs) it's more, it's like a, it's, it's sort of a Twitter clone. It's, it's, I like it more than it, you know, it's still owned by somebody unlike Mastodon, which I guess nobody owns. I don't know, but, but post feels more uh, familiar than Mastodon. Does the owner of post make incredibly funny pronoun jokes about Fauci, about Dr. Fauci? Not yet. And hopefully never. Was Uh, that the last straw? There was one moment where you were like, fuck this. Was it that? Well, I think it was him sending his minions after the former you know, head of trust and safety at Twitter. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, saying that the guy was a pedophile. 
that's a real go-to that's a real go-to jibe for Elon Musk, isn't it? Calling people pedophiles. Yeah. That's interesting. It feels pr- pretty gross and dangerous and irresponsible and it feels like this guy is the most dangerous person in the world right now. Whoa. Even more so than Trump because Trump is no longer the president and he's no longer on a platform uh that he gets the visibility that someone like Elon Musk does. But the stuff that Elon Musk is doing right now is as gross uh, as anything that Donald Trump ever did, I believe. I never thought that there could be somebody out there that would be that irresponsible mm. and mean. So, yeah, I don't feel good that I'm there. So follow John on these new platforms, and if he gets enough new followers, then he'll give himself psychic permission to leave Twitter. Is Something that... like that. Okay. Yeah. Let's uh, go to our interview with uh, Alex Perrine. We are joined, John. This is a real treat. A return guest, one of America's leading political prognosticators. We call him the Nostradamus of New York. (laughs) This man's crystal ball shines more brightly and sees further into the future than any other political pundit, including Nate Silver and David Shore. (laughs) Uh, Of course, I'm talking about Alex Perrine who was kind enough to come on our podcast last October, the fall of 2021, cast your minds back. And he made a, a he had the hottest of takes concerning Arizona's Senator Kirsten Sinema. Mm-hmm. Alex is back now trailing tra- clouds of glory, totally vindicated <laughs> in his prediction. Mm-hmm. Alex, do you remember the prediction that you made in October of 2021 and what has now actually come to pass? I do remember it. Um, <clears throat> I remember it because I uh, I wrote it down and I published it on the internet. And I think like a lot of other people who are frequently proven right, um, I always regret it when I forget to do that. Um, because so often um, you think to yourself, I know this will happen, say, a year from now or a year and a month from now. Um, but um, you, life gets in the way and you forget to write a newsletter or a blog or a tweet uh, sort of uh, staking staking your claim. Um, but I was smart enough. I had the foresight to uh, to actually write this down. And that's uh, what you're known for, your incredible <laughs> uncanny foresight. Exactly, yes. And so, uh, you know, to cast your mind back, what was happening is um, it, was the, it was the height of negotiations. I mean, the height of negotiations that lasted all of the year, it felt like, of around the reconciliation bill, Joe Biden's domestic agenda. And Kirsten Sinema was... was uh, gumming up the works. <clears throat> she had just at that time, I think, uh, left the country to go to Europe for a fundraiser instead of continuing these negotiations over over the the, the president of her political party's entire sort of domestic political agenda. Um, and, you know, the fate, the fate of of uh, of Biden's policies, you know, were, were up in the air and people were speculating, why is she doing this? Why is she doing this? And um there was a sort of popular because she's always been a you know a sort of and in office not always because her history is a little all over the place in office especially in the Senate she's always been you know she would say she was opposed to um, uh, raising taxes on the rich too much she was opposed to um, closing the carried interest loophole all these sort of pretty obvious pro corporate things so people were saying well she's doing this because she wants to be a lobbyist when she gets out of the senate that's what Kristen cinema wants she doesn't all she wants is to be a lobbyist work for big business get a cash in she wants to cash in i thought that was a little simplistic and my prediction and i i'm i actually 
I, I'm reading this back. I was actually surprised that I actually did get this specific because I don't usually do it. Uh, but I said that after the 22 midterms, I said after the 22 midterms, she would publicly announce she was leaving the Democratic Party and would become an independent. And what has come to pass? <laughs> Well, it, it uh, very, very, very shortly after um, the 2022 midterms finally concluded with the end of the Georgia runoff, very shortly after that runoff was decided, Kirsten Sinema announced that she was leaving the Democratic Party and, and would become a political independent. Yes, it was 6 a.m. the next morning that she announced yeah. that she was leaving. So it was literally within hours after you said it would happen. But my question is, were you sweating in that time between Bet the <laughs> initial midterms and the runoff in Georgia? Were you thinking, I might be wrong? Um, I don't, you know, I, I don't recall. Well, I gave myself an out like a coward, I will admit. I can admit, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a big enough person to admit um, my own failures. But, uh, so I gave my, my out that I gave myself was that I, I said it's more, it's especially likely to happen if Republicans win, if, it, if, if Republicans win the Senate, which especially at the time seemed much more likely. Mm -hmm, um, right. but, um, so, you know, my idea was that if, especially if she became the sort of deciding vote and the balance of power, that would be even more incentive. So I think if I was thinking about it, I was imagining like, um, you know, maybe maybe she won't do it if, if it's not the sort of deciding vote thing. Um, but so I wasn't. But, I, uh, but you know, I, I, I was wondering um, if I was going to be, you know, if I if my if my read on her was was going to turn out uh, as as accurate as I thought. And uh, and but, you know, I was right. It did. <laughs> it did. It did. Whether you had that. Yeah. Whether you had, had second thoughts or not. And my understanding is that this is her cowardly way of of ensuring that she will not be primaried and defeated by a fellow Democrat. Yeah. And, and this is part of what made the speculation. So, you know, what, what made people speculate, right? Because I, as, as I sort of put it at the time, um, there's a way to be, there's a way to be a democratic Senator who spends all of their time essentially working for corporate interests. Um, and, but does so in a way that doesn't attract a primary challenger. I, I always bring up Mark Warner from Virginia, as mm -hmm. he's, he's, I, I find him to be a, an, one of the most odious people in the United States Senate, and um, one of the primary reasons that the Pro Act was dead in the water. He's a, he's a complete a complete opponent, and and you know to some extent Warner's the sort of person who lets other people like Joe Manchin or Cinema take the fire for when he's behind the scenes doing this kind of stuff. Um, but no one's stepping up to challenge Mark Warner. He'll, if he chooses to, he will probably have an easy path to re-election. I could not pick him out of a lineup if he paid me a million dollars, whereas Kirsten Sinema is burned into my soul because of her exquisite self-branding. and Exactly. She's, she's, she is um, – self-branding is exactly what she's been up to this whole time. Um, she, had, she made herself the face. She made herself the face of Democratic Senate opposition – to the goals, not of a sort of radical left, but the goals of this guy that most Democrats like, President Joe Biden. And so in making herself the face of the opposition to Joe Biden from within the party, her uh, own numbers plummeted in Arizona. 
and especially among Democrats. She's one of the least popular senators in the country. And Democrats in Arizona have been saying for a year now that they don't like her. So anyway, it was sort of obvious she was going to get primaried. Um, It was obvious that she was going to have trouble winning a primary. And um, I think that um, part of her calculation now is is um, if she can avoid having to you know win a primary, um, the Democrats will be scared to run someone against her in a general because running someone against her in a general election might throw the election to a Republican candidate. So if you're you know being especially cynical, that would be a reason for doing this. Absolutely, we all know that Ted Cruz is famously hated by everyone in the Senate, <laughs> including members of his own party. Mm. Is it is it the same for cinema among the Democratic caucus? Like I'm trying to imagine, like if I if I was her, I think I would just shut down because I knew everyone hated me. Like I wouldn't want to be in the Senate anymore because everyone, if you're at a job and everyone <laughs> at your job hates you, shouldn't you just go get a new job? Like why do all this tomfoolery to ensure that I can keep working at this job where no one likes me? And I think that 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 question is actually really what separates like the true in politics that question separates the true like ghouls and mutants from everyone else <laughs> um because you, d- right. you do you have these ted cruises for whom it does not seem to matter a whit to his own you know sense of self-importance that he is widely reviled by everyone that no one has even has any respect for him it's not just that the libs are constantly triggered by him it's that everybody hates him yes and frankly like you don't as as annoyed as um, as annoyed as lots of uh, liberal and left wing voters and people get with someone like Joe Manchin. You don't hear complaining about Joe Manchin's actions in you know Senate world. Um, on the I, I think it was on prescription drugs. Senate, the Democrats have been trying to get a deal on prescription drug costs. They've been trying to get a deal, and Manchin himself, like the king of 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 diva-like Senate behavior to hold up stuff until you like get some sort of baby-splitting compromise. Manchin himself like went in about as far out of Senate decorum as you can get from a guy like Manchin was like, yeah, we've had a we've had a deal on the table on drug prices for a year, and one senator has been holding it up for no fucking reason. And he was talking about Senate Manchin, <laughs> yeah, exactly, Based Manchin, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's the kind of thing that cinema was sort of facing was was not just um, annoying the activists, but but seeming to frustrate and, and annoy her own colleagues. And so, yeah, you get the, you get to the question of why do you want to be in the Senate? Um, if you don't want if no one respects you and no one likes you, why do you want to Why do you want to do it? And um, I do I, I do think Kirsten Cinema, in addition to the electoral reasons that we just talked about, I, I think that she thinks she is. A, a sort of historical figure. I think she thinks she's a woman of destiny, and she could be president. Uh, yeah, and and especially when coming from Arizona, I think that she has this belief in herself as a John McCain like figure, right? Um, except that John McCain was like respected by both sides of the aisle, <laughs> right? Too respected, if you ask me. He, I agree. Like, yes, he was adored, right? He was a, you know, but the, but especially like the press. But anyway, this is kind of kind of the myth. The part of the myth that she forgot about here was that like McCain spent all of his time burnishing his own 
sort of uh, uh, credentials as a you know reasonable person and a, and a, a person of of integrity. Um, but he also like spent a lot of time like whining and dining the press. And cinema seems to be a I think because there's been reporting about people who sort of are like old friends of hers. She stopped answering the phone. She seems like kind of a prickly, a prickly person who doesn't actually seem to want to, you know, do the kind of press uh, flattering, glad handing, the glad handing that, that McCain really, really. And he was, I mean, a a sort of grumpy person himself, but that was part of his mystique and his aura. And she seems to just prefer, she seems to prefer going to Europe instead of like being in Washington negotiating stuff. And and Sean Patrick Maloney style. Yeah. So what do you, if you think that she feels like she is this, this woman of destiny, do you, uh, I mean, if I'm asking you to make another prediction, do you think (laughs) she is going to uh, run for president perhaps in 24? Do you think she may uh, run for Senate again? Because she believes that now she is in this, in this position where she's going to win. I'm not sure she is in that position Yeah. uh, based on everything I've read. Yeah. And I, I I think that this is where you have to, because there's, there's, again, I was trying to separate this idea of um, material motivation, right? Where people were like, she's just in it to sell out. Um, And that, that sort of implies this very rational mind that implies this, this cost benefit analysis taking place where she says the cost to me is that I'm becoming unpopular. The benefit is that I will get to cash in. But um, I just see her sinking, 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 sinking her popularity and and convincing herself that's a bonus. Have, have, convincing herself that the more I piss off these Democrats in my state, the better that's going to work for me to win over the independents. It's very much like, you know, it's, it's very sort of Beltway thinking, but in this in this really egotistical sort of form of it. Not only is it egotistical, it also feels just a little dated. I mean, that feels very 80s and 90s to me for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, I think we have, I guess, more, I guess, more sophisticated sort of uh, uh, analysis of how you sort of win a reelection, and uh, you know, base turnout is, turns out to be kind of an important thing. And pissing away your base turns out to be a, a thing that you should only do if you have a really, really good plan B. Uh, so I, I do think, to answer your question, I don't know. She might run for president. She might. But I do think she's oh, going to – I think she's going to – but I think she's going to run for re-election in the Senate. I think she's going to run for re-election in the Senate. And I think that she is going to be – I think she's in for a sort of rude awakening about like whether or not the Arizona electorate is – whether she can like – pull from, whether she can pull from um, enough independents and conservatives and, and uh, you know, you want to say McCain Republicans, whether that right. is a big enough, whether that's a big enough slice of the electorate to stake your uh, electoral hopes on. Um, if anything, she's imagining she can be like Lisa Murkowski, who Lisa Murkowski was lost a primary, lost a Republican primary, and then won a right, like remarkably won a write-in campaign to, to, for re-election. Um, but Alaska is pretty different. I mean, Alaska Republicans are different, but Arizona Republicans have turned out to be pretty happy with Trump style Republicans. Right. It sort of depends on who, who's the nominee is going to be on the, on the right. It know? absolutely does. It totally is does. it going to be a Carrie Lake? Yeah. Is it going to be somebody in the middle? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you look at what, what her, uh, Arizona colleague, Mark Kelly 
like <clears throat> he does not go or he, he's he's not a particularly progressive or left-wing figure but he doesn't go around pissing off his own party right and it turns out you it turns out you can actually do reasonably well in arizona without having to make yourself without having to do that work you were like we were sort of describing as dated the work of saying um i you know i'm i'm independent from my own party you can say i'm like a normal democrat and that turns out to be okay i'm a normal democrat and you're fine with me i can win re-election that way (laughs) is this your proudest achievement, this incredible <laughs> prediction you made. I mean, it's really. <laughs> well, um, you know, I have. I... This is your legacy. You understand this, this prediction. I do hope uh, this is what they're going to lead with, you know, decades, your decades obit? from now. Yeah, yeah this right. is going to be this is going to be the first line. Alex and... Perrine, 115 years old, passed, <laughs> passed peacefully in his sleep, surrounded by <laughs> entered, entered the met- one. Alex Perrine entered the metaverse permanently this morning at the age of. <laughs> His avatar <laughs> yeah, achieved its final form. Kareen, best known for his shocking and glorious prediction in October of 2021. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean, you're the guy. Give us some more predictions. What else yeah, you got? I mean, you got seriously, it, was there anyone else who predicted this? There had to have been somebody else. You know, I, there were, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't think there was, I don't think anyone was but, as specific as I was, but I, I will say, I yeah. want to give credit to, I want to give credit because where I got this from was like, Josh Marshall was just running letters from Arizona people, like Arizona people who had been plugged into Arizona politics. So not mm-hmm. national pundits. I'm, you know, I'm one of those, I'm one of those East Coast elites over here. But right. the guy, the, you know, right. the folks on the ground in Arizona were sort of saying like, oh yeah, she has been systematically cutting herself off from the party apparatus, that's which seems pretty yeah. notable. Not just, you got to go yeah. local, always yeah. got to go local. And that's, that's the, that. I mean, that's the, actually it's, 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 Seems pretty obvious. That's the best way to actually figure this shit out is to like yeah. hear from people who are like involved at the party on the ground. In the scene. Yeah. yeah. So those locals had said, yeah, something's going on with her. She's alienating everyone in the party. Yeah. It wasn't just that she was on the national stage, like um, making a name for for being difficult, but it was that she was cutting herself off from the Arizona Democratic Party itself. You know, like she was not really going, going for it, not right. going to town halls, not answering calls. All these people who had helped her get elected just couldn't get her on the phone anymore. Woman of destiny. Yep. But some people, like Bill Sher, has argued that it was the progressives that <laughs> pushed cinema away, that she wasn't going to go to these town halls because, you know, she was being accosted in restrooms and that Emily's List had pulled their support and... Is there any truth to that? That's definitely part of her narrative, right? That's what she wants to say to Jake Tapper, I'm sure. But uh, I, I think it's it's hard to point to uh, examples of of cinema um, being driven away as opposed to being in the driver's seat her entire time. Uh-huh. Um, she was she was a essentially handpicked by Chuck Schumer to be the Senate nominee when it was an open seat. In negotiations, uh, she was indulged at every step of the way through Joe Biden's first year in office. She, in every at every point at which she had some issue with legislation, she was heard out. Um, and so, I think you have to you have to look at this idea of how the power dynamics in Washington work. That is really appealing to people who um, love insiders and and hate normal people. Um, where you have to say, you know, what drove her away was the fact that um, people people uh, who voted for her were mad at her. <laughs> what right. drove her What drove her away from the party was that normal people who had supported her felt betrayed. 
Um, and that that really was too much for her to handle. So she was driven from the party. It's a lot to ask of any politician. <laughs> yeah, because at no point did anyone in the Democratic Party, at no point did Joe Biden make her public enemy number one. At no point did Chuck Schumer say, all right, Kirsten, we've had just about enough of you. Right. Um, the left had the left had. I mean, I, depressingly, the left had no power over her at any point, which uh, was made abundantly clear over and over again. And so having no power over her besides the ability to express displeasure with her, I don't know how much they can be blamed uh, for for her doing what she decided to do. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. At some point, if if you're. If your explanation for something is, well, people were mean and they got their feelings hurt, then it's kind of like, well, then what? Like, well, then anything could be the reason. I mean, yeah. <laughs> then what's the point of caring about any street. of this? I mean, she she never really made any public effort to champion Democratic policies or yeah. campaign for other Democratic offices, you know, in within the state. So again, I've brought up Jake Tapper because that's who she went to for her big interview about why she's doing this. Not someone in Arizona. Once again, not anyone in Arizona. National figure, Jake Tapper on national TV. And her her stock answer. And it, it seems um, it's the kind of thing that just feels deeply insulting. And and if you are like a person who knows anything she's talking about, because he would say to her, like, um, <clears throat> like, are you going to caucus with the Democratic Party? And she would say things like, that's a real kind of beltway question. That's a real, yeah. that's the kind of thing people in the beltway care about. That's so maddening. <clears throat> as if, no. as if like, no, the, 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 the question of who controls the United States Senate is like, right. that's kind of an airy, fairy. Wonks only. Yeah. <laughs> Normal people have no interest in which party controls Has the power. government. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Is there, because you're the prediction master, I just mm-hmm. want more. I want more words of wisdom. Is Trump going to be the 2024 nominee? <laughs> I mean, I kind of, I, I do kind of think he will be, unless um, he has a heart attack or something. I mean, I, 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 I think we're seeing with DeSantis. I think we're seeing with DeSantis a repeat of what happened in the last uh, Republican open presidential cycle, where. The press, it actually it happened in 2012 too. It happened in 2012 and 2016, where the press would fall in love with a Bobby Jindal or the press. <laughs> yeah, remember Bobby Jindal? Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> um, yeah. Rick Perry. Yeah. The press would fall in love. Rick Perry was the front runner in Time Magazine or whatever for for right. years in, in leading up to the actual election where it turned out no one was buying what Rick Perry was selling. And, and right. DeSantis, DeSantis is like, DeSantis is a red meat for the base kind of guy. He's not Jeb Bush. He's a red meat for the base kind of guy. But so was Bobby Jindal. So was Ted Cruz himself. And those guys fell. Those guys fell pathetically to Trump, um, who, you know, could tap into what these people actually wanted. And and so DeSantis, I, 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 I see him right now on that kind of path of being hyped up. Um, and then like not actually um, not actually, be, you know, being more like what is being pushed on the on the, the Republican electorate, what is being pushed on them more than what they are begging for. What about Joe Biden? Will he be the 2024 nominee for the Democrats? I think he will be. Yeah, I really I really do think he will be. I don't think I think there was a time when he maybe would have stepped aside, but that would have been 
incumbent on um, his vice president having poll numbers that were above like whatever 20 whatever her push is polling at um and which whatever like I, I i don't i don't mean to insult or demean kamala harris but like her, her numbers are pretty atrocious for whatever reason they are people are just not talk about people not buying what you're selling yeah she has just not clicked with just not anyone. at all not at all and i you know there's a we can i don't know i don't even i don't even have a great like one sentence reason for that but whatever the reason um i think biden right now is gonna because his feeling in again when his feeling was I'm the only guy who can do this. That was a feeling in 2020. That was a feeling in 2016. Well, the midterms certainly, they, if anything, go, go a long way towards vindicating that, that feeling. Exactly. Has. So I cannot see him. I cannot see him changing his mind at this point on that. We're so blessed that we're going to have a redo of the Biden Trump. I know, isn't that God help us? Because wasn't that such? A, it was such a fun year. <laughs> oh God. Oh well, maybe Cinema will jump in and run as yeah, a, run mean, for president. As we haven't had we haven't had a. Th- it's been a long time since a good three way race. Yeah, I mean Ross Perot, right? That was yeah. the last major one, right? Yeah, the last. Yeah, the last major one. Yeah. Do you have any predictions or analyses or insights about the future of of Twitter and Elon Musk's role as? Um, <laughs> Um, you know, that's actually, we, we got into this a little bit. It's uh, next week. If you enjoy podcasts, and if you're listening to this, I assume you do. Um, the, the one that I co-host for The New Republic, The Politics of Everything, is doing a uh, Future of Twitter episode uh, <gasps> next week. Or actually, no, that's this week now. I don't know when this is going to air. When is this coming going to air? This will come out on Tuesday, December 13th. It's going to come out tomorrow? All right. So um, this week. This week, uh, the politics of everything. The podcast I, I co-host for the New Republic is doing a, a future of Twitter episode with uh, the guest. Uh, our guest is Max Reed, who um, I know you love predictions over here, but he wrote his own. He wrote for his own Substack. He wrote uh, sort of four potential scenarios for the future of Twitter um, that we get oh. into with him, um, include you know including basically what if the business fails but the sort of platform survives and vice versa but anyway so we're going to mm-hmm. talk about that and but i would say this is a, i mean this is a um this is a hard one to to predict because um <clears throat> we're dealing with a, an agent of chaos i feel like who uh, uh in in elon musk but i i think that we're if you want it we're, we're if we're talking about people you can say behave according to a you know a, a cost benefit analysis and rationality um you know his his sense of rationality and his his ability to do cost benefit analysis is warped by the fact that he never faces negative consequences for anything he does mm-hmm. <laughs> so um it's my ultimate fantasy but it doesn't work for me <laughs> so you know you i think you could say um there's a version of this where he i don't know he saves face by um, you know going into some sort of managed bankruptcy and foisting Twitter off on on someone else, but he also just might be the kind of person who just thinks he can ride this out. He can just ride this out by being uh, completely unstable, firing people on a whim, you know, losing huge amounts of advertising money, and making good jokes and good, making a good funny pronoun joke. That's a good fresh joke format. Yeah, people like that. People love that. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, I uh, he's. His comedy tour is his he kicked off his comedy tour with Chappelle and it seemed to go oh very God. well. It seemed like it was <laughs> Chappelle. This is this is the I watched the clip of that. This is the way David Chappelle introduced Elon Musk on stage in San Francisco last night. Make some noise for the richest man in the world. <laughs> like 
<laughs> when did everyone just become 11 and just stop at age 11? Yes. Like, what is that? I don't know. I mean, right. I, and I, then Elon got all flustered because they were making the wrong kinds of noises. Like, right. <laughs> I'm imagining like, like, I don't know, Fatty Arbuckle saying that about J.P. Morgan. They're like, <laughs> like everyone, everyone, get on your feet. Here right. comes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if the dates exactly. work out there. I don't remember what. Hold your matchbooks high. Light a, <laughs> strike a strike a match for the richest man in the world, richest man on earth. Yeah. It's really interesting how much over the years as I've gotten older and older, you know, back in back in my youth, I guess in the height of all the Iraq war and the war on terror stuff, I really fell into this kind of Noam Chomsky like weird. Um, the way I thought of politics was like human personalities don't matter. They're all these are all just massive systems of self-interested state actors. <laughs> and it doesn't really matter who's president because all of this would be happening anyway, because it's in the United States material interest according to the military industrial complex or whatever. And although it was fun to make fun of George W. Bush, I had the sense that in the end, on on national and international stages, Human individual personalities don't really matter. Like that's a folly or a fake narrative made up by novelists and dramatists. But as I've gotten older, it's like, no, this is happening because <laughs> here's some sentiments and attention starved narcissist. Donald Trump's dad beat him up or didn't kiss him or hug him enough. Like it's all just like yeah. just human foibles. And that's so frustrating because you want it to be these immutable, huge mechanisms that are beyond it doesn't matter if you if you hug your baby or, or or tell your daughter you love her or something. But no, that's what it all comes down to. It's all just a bunch of human beings, damaged, broken people making decisions and yeah. overcompensating. Yeah, it's like, maddening and terrifying. Unfortunately, um, it it like Freud is having the last laugh. Unfortunately, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which is a frustrating thing. If you, yeah, if, if I could, right. If you have that background, <laughs> even on a personal level, cause I remember when I started doing therapy and I, I heard about cognitive behavioral therapy and was like, Oh good. So it's not about little stories about when I was a little kid. It's all just like reprogramming my brain. Let's right. do it. Yeah. And I did it and did it. And then at some point someone, <laughs> one of my therapists was like, so what's your relationship like with your parents? And I was like, Oh fuck. This shit actually matters. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. It's really humbling. It's it really humbling, is, but yeah. it's also scary because it's like, yeah, damaged people like are running the world right now. Like Elon Musk has like deep psychological yeah. wounds. Yeah. And this is a, and it's now, a, yeah, it's a, it's a really disturbing thing because um, <clears throat> it is a disturbing thing to be aware that as um, beloved funny man, Dave Chappelle says the richest man in the world, um, it's it's a really disturbing thing to to watch him sort of embrace this um, form of I I think pretty clearly fascistic thinking around identifying like wokeness as a virus, which sort of leads you to say like we have to stamp out liberalism or whatever. It's it's, right. it's disturbing to, to see that happen and to know it's connected to the fact that one of his kids won't speak to him. Like that's not a that's not a pleasant thing to think about right. happening because he has a trans daughter. Is that what it is? Who's cut him out of her life? Yeah, yeah. and 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 there there's a pretty clear line you can draw between that happening and and some of his personal obsessions that are now dictating the behavior of this person who has an immense amount of capital at his disposal. Yes, right. <laughs> that's why I kind of think he's not going to give up Twitter. 
I think you're I right. Think yeah, it, I kind of think I, you're right. I think, you know, no matter whether it fails or not, it feels like he's not going to let it go to somebody who isn't of that mindset right. that he is. So, Well, he can't let it go also because he can't risk. I mean, I think it's why Trump was so devastated by his own loss. You know, Elon and Trump, neither – the ironic thing is neither of them actually wanted these jobs. Right. Elon tried to back out of buying Twitter. Trump ran for president just as like a grift and then somehow wound up. They both stumbled back asswards into these positions. And so their perpetual sense of personal grievance was then intensified because now they also resented the fact that they had to do these jobs. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. right. And almost it feels like lashing out. I was telling John, it reminded me of when I was a kid and to get my allowance, I had to do yard work every week. And oh, my God, I can't. Re- I would just be so bratty and snotty about having to move mulch from one end of the yard to the other or like, you know, mow the lawn or like pull weeds and stuff. I was just in my absolute worst because I resented having to do it, you know, even though I had signed up for it as a condition to get my allowance. I feel like Trump and Elon's behavior professionally kind of speaks to their resentment about having to do these things that they actually in some ways didn't really want to do. Another similarity, I think, is that Elon can never let go of Twitter because if somebody then came along and fixed it and made it awesome... Yeah, Elon wouldn't be able to live with that cognitive dissonance that that he himself, the richest man on earth and the smartest, coolest dude who owns the libs 24 seven and makes the hottest jokes and knows how to use emojis. He can't risk the fact that someone could do that job better than he tried and failed to do. Yeah. Also, I don't think anybody for the same reason that DeSantis is in trouble in following in Trump's footsteps because he's going to have Trump out there. Uh, if DeSantis were to win, Trump is going to be pissing all over him yeah, and right. causing him problems. The next person who buys Twitter is going to have Elon Musk out there doing everything he can to make sure they To fail. sabotage him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a bad situation. Yeah. I just wish Soros would buy Twitter. I really need George Soros <laughs> to buy Twitter. Well, Alex, thank you for coming back on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you for your predictions. Thank you for being alone among the pundits to not being subject to human whimsy and psychology, for remaining in your castle in the clouds, mm-hmm. looking down on everything with your robotic gimlet eye. <laughs> You're welcome. I do it I do it for you. I do it for you, for everyone listening at home. We appreciate that. And again, the podcast is the politics of everything. We can also find your writing on popula.com. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. Popula.com. And uh, and still still occasionally updating my newsletter, the uh, the AP, the good AP, as it is sometimes known. Correct. And if you have not subscribed to Alex's newsletter, the AP newsletter, I would recommend it because I think he wrote. We don't have time to get into it, but I think he wrote the most the simplest and most perceptive analysis of police behavior I have ever read. Mm. It was one of those little essays that truly. All of yeah. a sudden, you see the world in a new way and everything falls into place. Thank you. Yeah. EAP.substack.com, right? Yeah. Correct. Okay. Thank you, Alex. Uh, thank you. Hey, did you guys know that Election Profit Makers is an independent production? You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash election profit makers. Send your election prediction questions to contact at electionprofitmakers.com. And reminder to please rate and review us on Apple Podcast or Stitcher or Overcast or wherever you get your podcasts. And goodbye to one and all. We will talk to you next week. Yes, next week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Nailed it. <laughs>